Hi there, and welcome to The Works. I'm Ben Che. And I'm Ben Peltier. Plenty of music in this week's show, as we'll be talking to world-renowned conductor Lauren Mazel, recently in town for both concerts and masterclasses. We take you to a music fairground held on the 2nd of November, which featured over 40 indie musicians and groups. And in our studio, the London-based Fournier Trio treat us to a little Ravel. First, though, look for images of beautiful women in art, and among the most beautiful will be Sandro Botticelli's images of the goddess Venus. Right now, you have the very rare chance to see one of the Renaissance master's Venus paintings right here in Hong Kong. Yeah, this is one of several versions that Sandro Botticelli painted in the 1480s. And we believe that this one may have been the model for the, for the famous one, that they relate in such a way that he and his workshop would have produced basically a, a, a drawing and then a painted version before they would paint the larger canvas that we all know, the one that's in the Uffizi in Florence. Botticelli's The Birth of Venus at the Uffizi Gallery is one of the world's most recognized masterpieces painted between 1482 and 1485. Venus, the goddess of beauty and love, stands on a seashell, emerging from the sea. She's blown to the shore by the breath of Zephyros, the god of winds. Horai, the goddess of the seasons, is spreading out a flower-covered robe for her arrival. The birth of Venus and her related paintings are really the f the, among the very, very earliest attempts uh, to represent the female nude in a classicizing fashion um, that occur in the Renaissance. And this in many ways is, is one of the definitive uh, concepts that, that, that essentially defines uh, the Renaissance. And the more complex allegories, uh, such as the birth of Venus and the Primavera, uh, from which um, this painting is, is, is derived, um, are also among the very first attempts by an artist to create a complex allegorical uh, composition with a moral, moralizing and philosophical, um, um, you know, with, with, a more, with a moralizing and, and, and philosophical narrative to it. This version of Venus is painted in tempera on wood. Both this and the birth of Venus show the same model, although there's disagreement about who that model actually is. Although her pose is similar, one hand shielding her breast, her long hair covering her genitals, there are differences between the Venus currently showing at the Hong Kong University's Museum and Gallery and the one in the birth of Venus. All the, the, the different versions, the, the Venus is painted slightly differently. It's not just the, maybe the way their hair is, is draped or so on, but also sometimes the hair color. This is a very dark-haired Venus, <laughs> uh, by comparison. And this Venus is a very good example how they are depicted, because she looks a little bit like a sculpture, um, isolated in this version, unlike um, in the version at the Uffizi, where here she is more seen as a, a little bit like a sculpture on a black background. Venus, this time clothed, is also the central figure in Botticelli's Primavera, which, like the birth of Venus, was commissioned by his patrons, the Medicis, a powerful Florentine banking family. Among the Medicis' collection was also the so-called Venus de' Medici, a first century BC marble copy of an original Greek bronze sculpture by Praxiteles. 
The similar positioning of the hands and the stance suggests that Botticelli may have studied it for his depiction of Venus. He or she doesn't have any of the traditional attributes uh, of, of, of the goddess Venus. She's just a naked woman. Um, what he's telling us that she's still Venus is, is her pose. It's the way that she's got one hand over her breasts, another hand down, covering herself at hip level. And this is based on the classical sculpture of the Venus Pudica. So it's a painting whose identity relies on a certain kind of visual vocabulary. The Hong Kong People's Fringe Festival was founded just last year. It's an open-access, multi-arts festival that encourages local artists to promote the fringe culture in various communities, find new spaces for arts purposes, and to enliven the city and the hearts of its people. Overseas artists from such places as Canada, the U.S., Japan, Taiwan, Poland, Switzerland, and France also take part. The festival includes all kinds of art, but on November the 2nd, it was music that took center stage as the People's Fringe Festival held a nine-hour music fairground at the Li Shaoqi School of Creativity. Chan 坐在那裡聽那個概念嘗試將它變化一下我不希望每個音樂節目觀眾坐在那裡聽他們想聽的一個類型的音樂 was a day of rock, pop, jazz, electronic, classical and Chinese music the aim, says the curator of Music Fairground, was to encourage people to appreciate music outside the mainstream genres and to provide a more pluralistic platform by taking the music outside of traditional venues. The organizers want the music to communicate and bring people together. Oiling 
其實我冇睇到咁複雜嘅，即係我聽完咗之後去周圍睇，咁希望聽到即係唔同類型嘅嘢咯，唔同嘅樂器、唔同組合啊，玩又唔同 feel 嘅歌啊，咁聽咗開開心咁樣，咁就係一件好好嘅事啦，已經。喺零九年咧，其實即係我自己啦，就用用咗一嚿玩具咧，即係我嘅玩具叫 Canorion， 即係頭先閃閃燈嗰嚿嘢，咁就開始咧就想即係自己做一啲 project 出嚟啊，咁就玩啲流行歌，就用啲電子音樂重新編一個新嘅演出模式。其實都一直都係不停咁樣試緊，即係 even 今日我哋玩樂遊區啦，呢個演出咧，其實我哋都係一路一路 jam 一路玩嘅，即係譬如天平座咁兩個吉他同個 Canorion 一齊玩咁樣。Space, imagination, freedom, flight. Is the slogan of this year's People's Fringe Festival, and the organizer wants to encourage aspiring young creators, performers, students, whatever their level of experience, to take part. We opening, we found St. Bartholomew's Lauren Mazel has been one of the world's most esteemed conductors for more than 50 years. He was music director of the New York Philharmonic from 2002 to 2009, and currently holds the same post with the Munich Philharmonic. He is also founder and artistic director of the acclaimed Castleton Festival in Virginia, a festival and training program for young artists. Maestro Mazel was recently in Hong Kong to celebrate the anniversaries of two very significant composers and to meet young musicians. Maestro Lauren Mazel has been in Hong Kong for two weeks, conducting the Hong Kong Philharmonic to celebrate the bicentenary of Richard Wagner and the centenary of Benjamin Britten. His visit, dubbed the Lauren Mazel Fest, has included workshops with young musicians and three concerts. Two nights of Mazel's own The Ring Without Words, based on music by Wagner, and one night of Benjamin Britten's The War Requiem. For the Ring Without Words, the maestro distilled 18 hours of Wagner's ring cycle of operas into a single 70-minute orchestral piece. Maestro, welcome to Hong Kong. You're doing the Ring Without Words, which is your own synthesis of the music from Richard Wagner's ring cycle. What was it like putting that together, and how did you come to the project? Well, I was actually asked to do so by a recording company. Um, it's chronological. There's no music of mine. Uh, all the light motif, that is the main themes, uh, are there. Uh, and it is very cohesive. It's not choppy. It has continuity. And it's become extremely uh, successful and popular with my colleagues who have conducted the work um, many, many times about the world. 
Did it surprise you that the recording of The Ring Without Words sold so well? I was very dubious that it was a good idea, and, um, but it turned out to be just that. And I think it's been successful because it, it uh, does no uh, harm to The Ring. Uh, it is not a substitute for The Ring. There's no substitute for The Ring. can't be. The Ring is The Ring. But it is a fine introduction, and uh, the subject matter is treated with uh, great respect. And it, as I say, uh, has a chronological flow, uh, which uh, makes sense uh, to the listener who's hearing it for the first time. The process of putting together the synthesis of The Ring Without Words, did it affect your conducting or your composing of opera? Creating a symphonic synthesis of any opera is a, uh, is a special challenge. It does not help one, uh, it does not uh, really help one understand the subject matter better uh, if one hasn't uh, understood it in its original form. There's no hope for you. Um, but it does, uh, in this particular uh, case, uh, give a symphonic hue to the undertaking um, without having recourse to the human voice, uh, showing that the, the dramatic uh, pulse and surge of the music actually rests in the orchestra and not on, on stage. I think that's an important point. You've written of the role of the conductor as a custodial one in terms of bringing the art from the composer to the audience. Uh, do you look at it as a team effort? I'm very, very precise and know exactly what I'm doing as a composer. The point is that you can't know it all. The whole point is that it is, there is this interaction between the interpreter who brings a, a work to life. He transforms the, the dots on the page into living sound. Uh, in a way that is uh, comprehensible to those who have gathered to hear the performance. A performance is not uh, a reproduction, a photocopy of the printed score. It's something, it uh, defies description, you're, but you're dealing with human beings, uh, the player, uh, the listener, and that's an entirely different dimension. Is there anything in the pipeline in your plans to uh, come back to Hong Kong? Yes, uh, I'm coming back next year. Look forward <laughs> to it. Take a Taiwanese-British pianist, Chow Ying-chang, a Korean violinist, Suki Yu, and an Australian cellist, Pei ji -in. Put them together and you get the London-based Fournier Trio. The trio was set up in just 2009, but is already making a name for itself. Recently, they visited Hong Kong. While they were here, they came to our studio to talk to Ben Pelletier. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. I understand this is the Fournier Trio's uh, debut performance here in Hong Kong. The couple of things that you've done so far here in, in our city. Uh, what have you been up to here? Yeah, well, it's very exciting. This is our debut Asian tour, actually. So we've been having a week-long residency in Singapore at the Yong Sito Conservatory. And now we've come to, to Hong Kong for the first time to perform. And uh, we, we just had a concert yesterday for the, at the a APA. So it's been really exciting. So tell me this. How did a, a pianist from Taiwan and a violinist from Korea and a cellist from Australia wind up in a trio based in England? 
Well, okay, so we've all studied in UK, but all in different places. Um, Chao Ying, the pianist, studied in Royal Academy of Music, and then I myself at the Guildhall School, and then Paige, the Royal Northern in Manchester. Um, and um, I mean, we've always known about each other, but um, when we met about four years ago, was in Wigmore Hall, actually, and Chao Ying and I had a violin and piano recital, and then Paige had his recital the next day. And I went to see him, <laughs> <laughs> hoping that, you know, um, hoping to get to know him better and it's, uh, musically. And then we decided to read some music together. And ever since then, we decided to play trios together. Right. And I understand there's a CD as well that's going to be forthcoming. Yes, uh, it's very exciting. We, we're going to finish recording in the studio uh, early next year. Um, it's, it's on the USK recordings label. So it kind of focuses on... Um, modern British composers. So we've we've already recorded the Timothy Salter piano trio, which is very difficult. <laughs> so we're very happy to have we're very happy to have done that, and um, we'll complete the program with Ravel and Foray trios. What would you like to play for us here in the studio? We'd like to play the second movement of Maurice Ravel, um, Bontum. Thank you. 